Yeah, she's a tournament player. It doesn't really matter to me what she's done all year. I know she's going to show up in the biggest moments for us uh, and lead our team. Her, Desi, Justice, you know, really all of them, they kind of got their look in their eye of like, we're going to do whatever it takes. I was proud of her for being uh, aggressive to shoot, you know. That, that's a little bit of what people have been giving her lately. And, you know, she's more than capable. She just kind of second guesses herself. So I'm glad she got over that. Cofield and Company NFL Insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now. We got ladies basketball starting here at the Mountain West Conference Tournament. That was Lindy LaRock, the coach of the Lady Rebels, 29-2, 19-0 in conference. Uh, one of her best players, Essence Booker, and confident shooting from deep. What a day. What a day to have on our buddy Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I am great, guys. How are you? I'm good. Well, first of all, I'm happy for you because I know you were uh, grousing a bit about uh, all the early draft talk. So we've got experienced players to talk about and franchise tags and contracts and all that. What's up, John? Uh, We're not going to break down Anthony Richardson? We can. next 30 minutes? No, we can. We can. I'm just afraid. (laughs) You know, I want to put current players in front of Miles to kind of soften them up a little bit. Um, The Lamar Jackson thing is is really interesting. Uh, not a surprise that he got franchise tagged. 32.4 mil is what he'd make this year. Non-exclusive, so give me your feelings on this because there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of offshoot stories that are going to come out of this. Yeah, it, definitely not a surprise that he got the franchise tag. And to me, it's not a surprise that he got the non-exclusive franchise tag because of the simple fact that the Ravens have not been able to really get anything going with him when it comes to a contract. I mean, by all accounts, you know, he would like to have a fully guaranteed deal. And he's never actually come out and said that. And in fact, he's rejected that notion, I believe, at least once on Twitter. But the the issue is apparently guaranteed money, right? And, And, you know, it's been reported by ESPN that he was offered $133 million guaranteed at signing, which I think sort of lacks the real context of what the guarantees would be in a practical sense, right? Because they wouldn't be cutting Lamar Jackson out after one year. And, and so I think whenever you're talking about guarantees, you, you really need to factor that in there too. And so, I mean, the sense that we get, we've gotten at PFT is that if anybody ever really saw what was offered to Lamar Jackson before the 2022 season, we might feel a little bit differently than just, oh, it's 133 million guaranteed. So that's one aspect of it. Now, the next thing here is what I've found a little bizarre, I guess is a good word for it, is that all these teams have come out and leaked that they're not interested in Lamar Jackson. And frankly, to me, that doesn't make any damn sense. Like, why are the Falcons going out there when they have Desmond Ritter and I think Logan Woodside as their two quarterbacks right now? They're saying, oh, yeah, we're not interested. They're telling anybody that would listen that they're not interested in Lamar Jackson. The Panthers have leaked that they're not interested. I mean, it doesn't seem like Washington is going to be interested if you believe John Kime of ESPN. I don't understand that. We're talking about a 26-year-old who's got an MVP award. And teams were falling all over themselves last year to get a load of Deshaun Watson. So what in the world are we doing here that we're not interested in Lamar Jackson? Because it's going to cost two ones? Because Lamar Jackson's had a couple injury issues the last couple of years? I'm, I'm not really understanding what that's about from the teams as a response to Lamar Jackson being on the open market. 
So one of those teams that was listed earlier by Field Yates was the Raiders. Deanna Rossini last hour has since come out and reported that, according to her sources, that is not the case and that the Raiders have not ruled out going for Lamar Jackson. So, Miles, before we get to some of these specific teams and, like, their aims, and you've mentioned a couple of reasons why they probably should go after Lamar Jackson, uh, the C word has been thrown out there, collusion, by the owners uh, that – they are not doing it. Why would they? Why would these owners band together? I guess it's like the anti-guaranteed contract deal, but as you've said, Lamar has said himself, it seems that he doesn't want a fully guaranteed contract. Why would the owners collude in this instance? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you kind of said it, JVT, right there. I mean, it, it would be the guaranteed money and setting a new precedent for guaranteed money aside from what the Browns have done with uh, Deshaun Watson, who basically everybody has said is an outlier. And in a lot of respects, he is. But at this point, Lamar Jackson has a lot of the balls in his court because he could go out and find another team to sign him to an offer sheet. And then the Ravens would either match it or not match it. Right. And if they don't match it, then they'd be entitled to at least two first round picks. And so that's, I just, I don't, I don't get, even if guaranteed money is an issue, like it's not like we're talking about Baker Mayfield or even Daniel freaking Jones over here. We're talking about Lamar Jackson, who is somebody who we've seen is extremely talented and no, he hasn't even gotten to a, a championship game yet, a conference championship game yet. But I, I just, I'm not really understanding what the lack of interest is, is and why the lack of interest is there. And, you know, it's something I guess you got to delve into over the next few days. Miles Simmons, Miles A. Simmons up on Twitter. One of the writers for Pro Football Talk, one of the personalities on Peacock when you're watching the programming for Pro Football Talk. Give me the – what's the number? I hate talking money because it's so, it's so convoluted. <laughs> but give me the, the – and since we're talking about guaranteed money, give me the number that would be the sweet spot that someone could offer Lamar Jackson where you think he would be happy but it would make the Ravens a bit hesitant but it's also not Deshaun Watson money. You know, like isn't it doesn't it have to be something between like 160 and like $200 million guaranteed where the Ravens would be like, eh, I don't know about that. But Jackson would have a reality check where it's like, I'm not getting 250. Yes, I, I think 200 would probably be that number. But it, it, again, it's what's fully guaranteed at signing versus what is total guarantees. You know, and it's semantics and it's really parsing things out, but it, it is, there is a difference, right? Because, again, and I think I said this earlier, when you're talking about Lamar Jackson and what is fully guaranteed at signing, that is apparently what the 133 number was that he was not pleased with that he was offered before. But, again, as a practical matter, Lamar Jackson is not going to be cut after one season. If you look at what's going on with Russell Wilson with the Denver Broncos right now, right? I mean, he had other guarantees kick in, or he's going to have other guarantees kick in as well, which is why it would cost them like $100 million in dead cap money to just get rid of Russell Wilson right now, which they would do if there weren't, that, if there weren't those guarantees in there, right? So... That's why it's interesting. And the other part of this, and I don't mean to be negative about a player because they want to represent themselves because they have the absolute right to do that. But I I think this is where if Lamar Jackson had an agent, it, we might have be in a different place right now because it's hard for... It's hard for Baltimore to negotiate with the player himself, right? It can be done, as Eric Costa pointed out at the Combine last week, and I was listening to his press conference standing there, and he said, you know, when we did a deal with Roquan Smith, that's a player and that's us. And it's different, but we can get it done. I mean, right now, Lamar Jackson's 
needs, wants, desires would be communicated differently through an agent through two teams than it is just himself, you know, and apparently his mother who is helping him out the negotiations, which again, every right to do that. Um, but I think in some ways it's less effective than having one of the big agents from CAA or IMG or um, David Mugletta, you know, any one of those big guys who has done the huge quarterback deal before. It, it, the experience matters in these kinds of situations and the fact that Lamar Jackson does not have this experience, I, I think really does make a difference. I am far from a money and financial expert when it comes to the rules in the NFL. Um, I do have some awareness that when you sign someone and you have guaranteed money in there, how much money do you like? You actually have to have money on hand. You can't just willy nilly go, you know what? A hundred million guaranteed. And then you're like, oh, I'm kind of cash poor. What, what would teams actually have to put up if you had like a fully guaranteed 180 or $200 million deal? What do they have to put up at the front end? So, yeah, and, and you know what, Steve? I, it's my bad because I really ought to know this offhand by now, especially given what we're talking about. But I know that the rules changed last year or a couple years ago because it used to be that if you were going to have any guaranteed money in a contract, then that money, the full amount of that money had to go into escrow. Right. So you couldn't just say, all right, you know, we're signing a uh, player X for a hundred million dollars guaranteed and you don't have a hundred million dollars set aside for that. You have to be able to you had to be able to do that. Now, I think that number has gone down to 80 percent, but I'm not quite positive on that. So. All right. Well, I mean, when we start talking about teams that could be interested in. Right. And Lamar Jackson, you know, we think about the Raiders. You know, if you had a yes, 200 million dollars, exactly. you got to put up 80 percent. Mark, I, I don't know if. You know, Mark Davis, I, I, again, I don't want to go down this path because we're going to sound foolish, but, you know, if Mark, Mark Davis, hey, we need 160. Like, can he do it? Right. You know, I think he's, he's a lot closer now than he was, say, five years ago. Certainly. And, and but that's been one of the issues, right? It's another part of why um, Joe Burrow has been such a topic of conversation because usually Mike Brown, the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, is not been uh, the most lucrative owner, right? He has not been one to just spin, spin, spin. But if you have a Joe Burrow, you spend whatever it takes to make sure he's happy and that he's satisfied. Same thing goes with Dean Spanos and the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. Those guys have to get money. Now, if you're talking about Jeffrey Lurie and the Philadelphia Eagles, they're going to be fine, and they are absolutely prepared to do whatever they have to do to sign Jalen Hurts. But I bring up those three guys because they, um, right now, have just completed their third seasons, and they obviously are franchise quarterbacks, and they will become three of the top-paid players in the NFL this offseason. At least, and I say this because they, all three of them have agents, right? So they're not going to step on a field in the 2023 regular season without having a new contract with a bunch of guaranteed money. And this is unlike what we saw with Lamar Jackson, but it is like what we saw last year with Kyler Murray, if you remember all the BS that went off on that. So uh, we were talking about this point a little bit earlier in the show, Miles. Does like the NFLPA now look at the situation that Lamar Jackson is in and do like some self-reflection and be like, dude, we got we to gotta put these guys in better positions because one of the best players at his position is kind of getting screwed around here. Oh, but I don't know if this is the PA's fault. I mean, in some ways, I guess, because, you know, Deshaun Watson got what he got, and that wasn't a bad thing. And, you know, in some ways, they've been pushing for guaranteed deals. But 
I, like I said, it's just it's it's an unpredictable situation and it's a unique situation. And sometimes we throw around the word unique a little too much, but it is a unique situation when you have a quarterback who won an MVP award and then did not get signed to a new contract. I mean, there's there's no reason in the world why Baltimore would want to get rid of Lamar Jackson. Deleting Lamar Jackson from the Baltimore Ravens roster does not make them any better. I mean, from everything that they have said publicly, all that they've done is try to construct a team and an offense specifically that revolves around Lamar Jackson. And they've done that. And we don't know what Todd Munkin is going to necessarily bring to the table as an offensive coordinator. But, I mean, it's just one of these situations that I I, I have a hard time figuring out what's going to happen next because I never would have predicted that we would be here a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson won a freaking MVP award. It's just, it's weird. <laughs> What do you make of Jets officials going to California to talk to Aaron Rodgers? Well, I hope that they're in a room that they can at least see each other. You know, I mean, is he still in the dark, still wiping only twice and, you know, doing whatever he was doing in that dark room? This is what you didn't see that he said that. No. Oh, believe me. Oh, believe me. We talked about it. Uh, I don't think you were on. I didn't see this. Uh, we talked way too much about pooping uh, last week. Oh. I got I got home after the show, and I'm like, wow, that was seven minutes. It probably should have been two. But, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was commenting on the, the quality of his excrement in the dark room and, you know, along with the fact that he couldn't make it through the whole time. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. There you go. There was 30 uh, seconds. We cut it off. Twice. Uh, I don't know. It's very clean. By the way, are you a folder or are you a buncher, Miles, when it comes to the toilet paper? I, I, yeah. Come on, 42 Fold seconds. <laughs> and then you got you to gotta have the cleansing wipe as well just to make sure you're all good. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Visual. I just feel uh, – yes, yeah, yeah. Refold I, 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 <laughs> I just feel like the Jets are in a weird position now because, look, you, you missed out on Derek Carr, and I don't know how much missing out on Derek Carr is a good thing or a bad thing, but – at the same time, if you don't land Aaron Rodgers now, I mean, what are you going to do? Is it Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it turn back to Zach Wilson? Is it Mike White and Prey? Like, I, I don't know. Um, so it, it, the fact that the Jets are going out to see Rodgers and kind of supplicating himself themselves to, at the feet of him means to see, it says to me that like this thing with the Jets probably will happen. And if you're the Green Bay Packers, I understand why you're fine with it. And you will get some draft compensation um, and you just say, let him go. And thank you for the memories. It's been real. We appreciate your one Lombardi trophy and nothing else. And, you know, congratulations. And we hope that you do well with the Jets. And we're ready to turn the page to Jordan Love. Because I, I just, I, if I'm them, I would have had enough of this if I'm the Packers. Yesterday, I shocked Steve when I said that Derek Carr signing with the New Orleans Saints was a lateral move from where they were at quarterback last year. Would you agree or disagree? I think it's it's about a rung or two above lateral. But, yeah, it, it doesn't excite me, man. Wow. And, and I just – look, I, and it, here's the thing. I, I don't hate on Derek Carr. I think that Derek Carr in the right situation has a chance to be really good. I would have felt much better about Derek Carr on the Jets than I do about Derek Carr on the Saints. And – Part of it is the Saints are, you know, they, we always talk about how, oh, my gosh, they're in cap hell. Oh, wow, they cleared the cap. Da, 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 da. They have to get rid of good players in order to do that. And so I'm not sure about the talent around Derek Carr at that spot. You know, I mean, yeah, Alvin Kamara is good. Chris Olave had a great rookie season. Michael Thomas is good when he's on the field. But I just, I don't know. There's something that 
it just it doesn't really excite me because I, I don't know how good their defense is going to be next year. And I, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm not I wouldn't feel the Saints even if they had like Aaron Rodgers and they put him on that team. I, I'm just I don't know. I'm unsure about Pete Carmichael as an OC and I'm unsure about Dennis Allen as a head coach. And so that's I think that has more to do with it than Derek Carr himself. I feel like we just got deja vu on Carr when it comes to the Seahawks yesterday with Geno Smith. And what I mean by that is when Carr signed his extension a year ago, uh, people around the country got the message that it was like some $130, $140 million deal. Locals, the people who really pay attention to the media, were like, it's one year guaranteed. He can be cut after the year. Guess what happened? He got cut after the year. He made his 35 to 40. Geno Smith, $105 million, Miles. Well, the guarantee is for about 35, maybe 40. Um, and I think that's intentional. I think they want a quarterback this year. Hey, let's reward the guy because he was underpaid. But I also believe in the draft, you know, you mentioned AR-15, right, John? Yeah. yeah. I think they're going to be hot and heavy for Anthony Richardson, and I think they are drafting a quarterback, and Geno is the placeholder for a year, a year and a half, a year and three quarters. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that. I mean, Pete Carroll really admitted as much today. He was on uh, the radio over there in Seattle and said that, you know, what we've done with Geno Smith does not – prevent us from drafting a quarterback because what he said was they're at five overall and they don't really intend to be at five overall ever again so and frankly it wasn't it's not even their pick that they're using at five overall it's it's the broncos pick from the russell wilson deal so i mean i understand the urgency that they might have in saying yeah let's pick a quarterback that we really like if there is one that we really like and if richardson is that guy i get it man he's got the raw tools you know, you look at him and what he did at the Combine, it's extremely impressive. You look at some of his highlights that he had in college. I mean, there's some stuff that, like, Mahomes kind of does, but not nearly with the consistency, right? And then also he's got the ability to just take off and run. I mean, the way he runs is electric. So, yeah, I, I would understand if even though the, the Seahawks signed Geno Smith, they decided, you know what, we're going to keep going and we're going to get a quarterback here. Yeah, so we were kind of mystified on the air when we saw the deal and, I'll just uh, I'll do old school erase erase what I said about the Seahawks kind of unraveling all the goodwill. I will say unless I find out that it's freaking 30 million guaranteed and not 80 million, what the Giants did with Daniel Jones is defies logic. I don't get it. Well, I, so here's the thing about the Giants and Daniel Jones, and I don't really think Daniel Jones is that great. I mean, I think that I would probably put him on the same plane as a Derek Carr. And, you know, maybe a little bit lower, but maybe on the same plane because he's got not that much experience. And I like the coaching staff there with the Giants. Um, but when you're in a situation where you've got a guy that you think you believe in and he's still young and he didn't turn the ball over last year and you either franchise him and you can, he's got to kind of got you over a barrel or you franchise the running back who you think can really help the guy the next year and then you'd probably let that running back go even though they said they're saying that they're trying to get a multi-year deal done with Saquon Barkley and I don't really get that from a team construction standpoint but I guess that's neither here nor there um it's weird when you have you know 40 uh 1 million basically guaranteed in each of the first two years of that contract it's also just the going rate for quarterbacks and so if you are the Giants and you're not picking high in the first round and you don't really feel like you're going to have a good opportunity to get another guy, then that's why you do this because it's kind of the going rate for QBs. 
And at this point, you feel like Daniel Jones can turn into a little bit of something, you know, be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, which doesn't say all that much to me, but it's still something. You don't want to go into a season where you're going to have more expectations without a guy that you at least trust to handle things from the quarterback position. Miles, you're the man. We appreciate it. Thanks for being uh, flexible and moving to a later time. So this is going to be a mile slot moving forward, we hope, uh, wow. 5 o'clock. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Take care. There is Miles Simmons at Miles A. Simmons. Again, I got to see more of the contract with Daniel Jones. I, Frankly, if, if I'm the Giants and I could have gotten Garoppolo for a decent price, I'd rather just invest in Garoppolo for a couple of years. I just, oh, I wouldn't. No? Well, because I think – the difference is a key part of what Daniel Jones did last year was his athleticism. Okay. You're cutting out a big chunk of your offense if Jimmy Garoppolo is your guy. So you're saying part of this is also to deal with the offensive line, which is still developing? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was awesome down the ground, him and Saquon. Like, he was like they were their two-headed monster on the ground. A, he is a good athlete. How yeah. come uh, maybe uh, Anthony Richardson should be compared to Daniel Jones? Or That can't happen, huh? No, it's Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson, and that's it. Field and Company is live at the Thomas and Mac for the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Todd, you're going to be with us this hour. You've uh, been there emailing I am. and I am. typing. I'm just, I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm multitasking. Every, I know, but once in a while, I but, get but what can you be doing that doesn't have to do with what's going on I right guess, now? I guess it can all wait. Yes, it can. It, it could wait, and uh, you could wait 45 minutes. I need to do better at that. Yeah, just we're doing a show. It's live. How about you turn your computer on? Stay with us. This is a fun show. It is a fun yeah, show. Yeah, you should try it. I'm usually, uh, I'm usually like involved. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mac. I love stuff like that. Interesting. I get the feeling that people believe I'm some evil dictator, at least around the show and the station. And uh, there are some pretty hardcore hosts out there. DP this morning, I just happened to be listening. And I was like, oh, like the, the four guys he's speaking to right now is not enough. He's irked by something that uh, I think that's Fritzy was doing. And he's like, get off the computer, which he probably should have fired back and been like, I'm working for you. I'm prepping right. for tomorrow. Like he was doing something that he thought was important. But Dan Patrick was bothered because, you know, the fifth guy wasn't giving input. And I, I like Dan Patrick, but I just as a as a host. And someone who has produced and all that, and you're like, okay, what's going on? There's something going on here with the show dynamics. Oh, that seemed a little more personal than, oh, yeah. like, yeah. Like, than like, I guess I can them. do – I guess I need to do better. Uh, oh. You know, I've got to admit, maybe this is, like, shocking for, like, sports media fans. I've never liked Dan Patrick's show. I, I've never been a fan of the bit uh, of the Danettes. Is that what he calls them? Yeah. Um that's why I actually – it's why I don't really like Rich Eisen's show because it's kind of like a copy of what Dan wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never really been a big fan. See, I think he does pretty good interviews from time to time. I think that's time. his best skill. I think he's yeah. one of the best interviewers because uh, people have good relationships with him and he can he can chill people out, get good answers out of them. Yep. Nice voice. But, uh, yeah, I've never been a big fan of the show. So. En- ensemble cast is interesting because obviously everyone's modeling it after – Howard Stern and, you know, some FM morning shows. And don't get me started shows. on the arrogance. So is it Perloff who came from the sh- from the uh-huh. behind the glass to now where he's at? What's the arrogance? Huh? What's oh, the arrogance? Just the takes, the smarmy, I'm better than you nonsense. Get out of here. I you were a Danette. I, I think a lot of it's a bit. It, I th- it yeah. might be, but have you ever had an et? I've never been yeah. an et, all right? A Steve et, a Cofield et, right. never. I actually worked with Perloff when he was a writer 
way back at old Sportsman Radio Network. We had done some merger, and, and he would come on the air every once in a while. Um, I didn't know at the time that he would turn into a, a national host. So good for him. It, wor- it worked out. No, it worked out pretty well. 21-20. Eight minutes left in the half. San Diego State leads UNLV. I told you, San Diego State, the ladies' team, is as talented as anyone in the conference. Maybe just a little bit short of UNLV, but they're good, man. And they haven't shot the three ball well yet. They're leading. They're 0 for 1 from three. So uh, UNLV clearly doing a good job of chasing them off the line. But they're a big physical team. And uh, right now they're matching basket for basket the Lady Rebels. 21-20 the score in that game. Eight minutes left in the half. When we come back, we're going to get a preview of the uh, Pac-12 tournament, which kicks off tomorrow. Pretty deep tournament. A little bit top-heavy in terms of favorites. We'll find out from Roxy Bernstein if there's some teams outside of USC and Arizona and UCLA worth a play to go all the way to the finals or actually still a bid. Cofield and Company returns in two minutes live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mac. I mean, you're saying it, right? So I don't have to say much about it other than the facts are the facts. We had a great season last year. They built upon it and had a phenomenal season over the summer. And we've kind of, you know, carried the torch in, in through this year. Uh, we're not done and we want to keep going. But their support of us means, means you know, a lot. You know, we love their support. We support them right back. And it's, it's pretty good to be a women's basketball player in Las Vegas right now. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mack. Wendy LaRock, 19-0 in the Mountain West Conference, including yesterday's win. Right now they're down 27-23. She was talking about good times with women's basketball in Vegas with the Aces and uh, Lady Rebels who have been on fire the last couple of years. Right now they're down 27-23. I'd say the crowd, John, is 40%. UNLV, 30% San Diego State, 30% Wyoming. Okay. Tons of Wyoming fans are here. But uh, when San Diego State scores, it's, it's loud in there. So we're just outside the arena. We'll uh, try to get you a couple final updates before we go inside after the show. But Pac-12 is going down over at T-Mobile at the Fortress and should be pretty good tournament. Uh, tournament. There's uh, you know big things on the line in terms of seeds, and we'll see if there's a uh, bid stealer in the group. Roxy Bernstein calls the games for the Pac-12 Network. Roxy, you're on the first two games on Wednesday? Yeah, I got the first two tomorrow, Steve, and then the first two on Thursday as well. So give me an overall picture of the tournament. Uh, UCLA is a pretty big favorite. Last number I saw was plus 135. Zonas clearly is right there with them. Is it a big drop-off to USC and then an even bigger drop-off to the rest of the field, or what do you think? Is there a pretty good balance? I, no, I think that's a fair assessment, Steve. Just the way the league played out this year, that clearly Arizona and UCLA separated themselves from the rest of the conference. USC make a strong push, and I think there's some questions for them as far as Drew Peterson, how healthy he is. That's a key for them. But those three teams are solidly in the field. Then you got Arizona State and Oregon, who are just kind of still hanging around with a good weekend that they could put themselves back into the field. But... You know, it's interesting because UCLA said this morning Jalen Clark, who was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, will not make the trip to Las Vegas. He was injured on Saturday in their win against Arizona at Pauley Pavilion. So, you know, in some ways that might open this tournament up for maybe a possible upset or could the Pac-12 be a bid stealer like it was, you know, a couple of years ago when Oregon State shocked everybody and won this. Is there any worry for Clark that that's a long-term thing or is it just the tournament? I, I don't think we know, to be honest with you. And I did the game on Saturday with Bill Walton. We were at Pauley for UCLA, Arizona. And 
it, it didn't look good at the time. Now, I'm just drawing conclusions playing amateur doctor here, but, you know, he was on crutches. He had a boot on. He came back to the bench, but he, he didn't seem too dejected. You're just hoping it's okay. It's just a weekend thing, and then maybe he can be back for the NCAA tournament. But if they don't have him, that's a significant loss because of what he does for that team. Well, you look at, uh, I think, a team like Arizona is the one that intrigues me the most. And we saw them in that regular season finale. When they came out of it in that loss to UCLA, they kept bringing up the word physical. Like, the, the physicality kind of bothered them a little bit. What, what do you make of this Arizona squad in the big picture when it comes to the NCAA tournament, when they have to match up with some of those physical teams? Is that just like coach speak when you come out of a loss, or do you think that's something that's really going to bother a, a fast-tempo, offensive-oriented team like Arizona? In a way, I think that's a, some ways Tommy Lloyd sending a message internally, using the media – to deliver the message to his locker room because not many teams have the size and the physicality underneath that Arizona has between Azulis Tabellas and Umar Balo. Uh, now on the wings, it's a little bit different. And th- that's the difference between Arizona last year and this year. Look, they had pros last year, right? They had Ben Matherin, they had Christian Coloco, Dalen Terry. They're not as athletic on the wings and, and – have the talent they had a year ago, but they're still really good. Um, and the key for them recently has been when they're hitting threes. They got off to a good start against UCLA, then they kind of fell flat on their face. That can't happen. And they need to regroup. Look, they're, they're fun to watch. They get up and down. One of the best offensive teams in America. But if they're going to win this time of the year, it's, their defense has to get better. And in a lot of ways, they have to up the physicality because just the way the game is being played this time of the year. So for the, uh, for the conference tournament and out here in Las Vegas, obviously betting is a thing. One of the sexy picks, <laughs> if we're doing a dark horse deal, has been uh, Oregon, right? A lot of people like Dana Altman. He's a very good coach. This is not, you know, the same Oregon team, only 18 to 13. But they go into the tournament with some momentum with three straight wins. What, what do you make of Oregon's chances in this tournament and what has kind of gone wrong for them throughout this season? They just have not been consistent. They had a lot of injuries early in the year. They've got a lot of talent when you look at their roster, but they just have not been consistent. And over the course of the season, at this point, you are what you are. And for people thinking, oh, well, okay, they, could, they, they are an attractive team because of the talent. And over three, four days, they might be able to get hot. But they don't shoot it great. They, they really have been an enigma for Dana Altman to try to wrap his head around him. So... I think that from a game to game, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get from Oregon. But the one thing I will say, then why people may be leaning toward Oregon as a potential threat to win this thing, is they've got the talent. And their A game could be as good as anybody's A game in this league. The problem is they just haven't played it very much this year, and they have really not been the team that everybody was thinking they were going to be just for whatever reason, whether it's the point guard play, whether it's the guys coming in and out of the lineup, it just hasn't gelled for the Ducks this year. Pac-12 tournament starts out with the men uh, tomorrow, uh, early game, and uh, Roxy's on the game. Roxy Bernstein is with us with Don McLean as Washington and Colorado go at 1 o'clock, 3.30, is Washington State and California. I want to get to those two games specifically here in a second, but uh, one last uh, question on one of the, you know, the real potential bid stealers, and I feel like we have the same conversation the last couple of years with Bobby Hurley in Arizona State, why were they just a little bit underwhelming? They just they play that style, Steve. It's it, 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 it's hard for them to duplicate. 
The one thing I will say is I think this might be Bobby's best defensive team he's had at Arizona State. But an offense, they're just they're schizo. Some days you just they can go through these cold spells where they're shooting twenty percent, and what the heck is going on here? But with the, between the Cambridge brothers, uh, it, it's funny. I was having this discussion last week. Corey Williams and I had the Arizona State UCLA game, and we were talking about the Sun Devils. There, they have a lot of bad shot takers. But there are also some bad shot makers with that group. So it really has been a bumpy ride for them. And that win at Arizona puts them back into the conversation as far as being able to get into the tournament. But now after losing last weekend both games in L.A., they're going to have to try to find a way to rally and I think win at least one game, if not two here, to put themselves back in the field. And then you have this weird scenario that unfolded with Arizona State, as you mentioned, one of the Cambridge brothers came from Nevada. So did Warren Washington and both of those guys. So I think, like, let me get out of here. Let me get away from Steve Alford. And Alford scuffled a bit at the end, but Nevada's actually ahead of him in bracketology with uh, very much a, a new crew. So it didn't work out for him the, the way they wanted it to. Um, so break down Washington and, and Colorado for me. Um, what do you expect in this game? It's interesting because Colorado's without one of their top two players. K.J. Simpson is out. He's here, but he won't play. He's dealing with a non-COVID illness. So that clearly hampers Tad Boyle's Colorado Buffaloes. They've been banged up recently. Puts a lot more in the plate of Tristan De Silva. And then on the other side for Washington, they've got some injuries themselves they're dealing with. But they do have a dynamic electric freshman backcourt that seems to be playing better here toward the end of the year. But both teams' margin for errors is pretty thin. It's just, for me, it's a question of whose style wins out. I think Colorado would prefer it a little bit more of an up-and-down flow or Washington with that zone. They're trying to junk it up a little bit. And I just think that game is going to come down to whose style wins out in that matchup. So, Oh, sorry. We talk about teams that are set to make some noise here. Um, also, a team that we're going to see on Wednesday. Why should I not be more intrigued by this Washington State team that comes into this winning six straight? Yeah, that's that's a reason to be intrigued because, like so many other teams, they've dealt with a ton of injuries, but now they're healthy and they're without question playing their best ball of the year. And they have a guy who I think is going to be a first round draft pick in the NBA and Muhammad Gay. Um, they make the most threes per game in the Pac-12. So as if a team is going to have to win four games over four days to win this thing, you know, Washington State would be as good a play as anybody because of the way they're playing and the style that they play. So I think from that perspective, they are a dangerous team in this field because, and also I think they're playing with a lot of confidence right now. Roxy Bernstein tomorrow on both of the Pac-12 games in the early session, 1 and 3.30 on Pac-12 Network. Uh, so we haven't had a chance to talk UNLV in a while, and I just want to run this one by you and compare contrast to Cal. So UNLV athletic community right now, in terms of fans, is you know they're they're a little bummed out because the, the, they're really you know they like to see the school strive and you know eventually reach the Pac-12 if it exists. And the basketball program, the Run Rebels, got off to a great start. They were unbeaten. They were 11 and one. And then the middle of the season, they start getting some injuries, and the season has kind of turned out to be not what they wanted it to be at 18 and 12 and 7 and 11. So, and we just saw a John Canzano story the other day, Roxy, where it said, hey, Pac-12 is not even looking at UNLV. So all of a sudden, you know, the last five days, people have been kind of down. Um, I'm not doing this to smash Cal, but like, what is the mood right now around 
Cal because we have the you know the lack of clarity with the Pac-12 and then this freaking basketball team. What the heck happened? It, it, it has been a spiral that they have to get back on track because if you look over the years, there's a history of success with the Cal basketball program. I mean, certainly, look, not necessarily the heyday that Tark had here in Vegas, but they've had a lot of terrific players over the years, whether it's Jason Kidd and, or, you know, more recently, a guy like Jalen Brown. But this is a proud program that's trying to find their way. And, and attendance numbers are down because the team hasn't been good and they really have not been playing an attractive style of basketball recently. Uh, that's got to turn around. But the one thing is with their fan base is they're loyal. And they start winning again, people will show up. And But it, right now I think everybody's kind of in the wait-and-see approach in terms of what's going to happen, the television deal with the conference. And then I think everything will kind of settle down for a lot of people. And there's uh, some optimism, some anticipation that the way this thing hopefully will get wrapped up soon, which would be a big deal for not just Cal, but Stanford, everybody at the Pac-12, that they'll have some clarity on the near future. Are you optimistic on the TV yes, side? Uh, I, I am. Everything, everything that I hear, now granted, I'm not in the room. I'm just getting it second, even third hand. But I am optimistic. These 10 schools are aligned together um, and they're in it together. They're not going to fray as long as the television deal is attractive for people. So as long as the money is there and all indications are it's going to be in the ballpark where the Big 12 television deal is, then I think everything will settle down because the key for keeping these teams together, guys, was when the college football playoff came out and announced that there was going to be an automatic bid. And I think that really put schools at ease knowing that, hey, to get to the college football playoff, I just got to win the league. And this is a winnable league. And you're seeing, okay, Oregon near the top, certainly what Utah's done the last few years, Washington, a team that's on the rise. There's still a lot of confidence in the teams that are in this league. Roxy, you're a busy guy, man. We always appreciate your time. Enjoy the tournament. We'll probably see you over there. Thank you. Look, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Great voice of West Coast Sports, the Pac-12, Roxy Bernstein. He is a cow guy, so I don't want to pile on too much there. But, man, around the conference, by the way, UNLV and uh, Lady Rebels in San Diego State go to the half, nodded at 33. So we'll get you an update on what's happening in the game. I just, man, I, you look up, and in the Pac-12, again, Bracketology has them getting three freaking teams. Yeah. There's way too much good basketball on the West Coast and high school prospects to still be in this situation, and I just look at certain schools, John, and I don't know if it's a budget thing, but there's just there's so there's been so many kind of underwhelming hires, whether it was from the beginning or now. You look at it, and you're like, what the hell? Like, how much longer is Arizona State going to tolerate Bob Hurley, who's he's been okay? He's also kind of a surly dude, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I think he was actually saved for this season with all the stuff that was going on with Herm. But at Cal, I mean, that's that's outrageous. Why isn't Stanford good? I I, I, I mean, I don't get that one. I mean, even like look and Oregon. Oregon. I will right. say with Oregon, I do believe Oregon is an example of, and this is something I sort of predicted that NIL in basketball was going to allow legally a lot more teams to come to the negotiating table for players. And I believe Oregon was one of the, you know, the 10 or 12 big ballers around the country that you couldn't outspend in the past. Mm -hmm. And now, 
other schools can be up there with these collectives. And I, you know, I mentioned this before on the air. If you look around, some of the, the real big blue bloods that were getting a lot of players in the past have not had good years this year. Kentucky's on the bounce back. North Carolina has been underwhelming. Duke is good, but not great. And there's a there's some other programs Kentucky. where you're like, hey, well, I mentioned Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, you did. And they're on the bounce back. But there's some other programs that have been in the mix. You know, generally the schools that battle let out for top 30 players. And you're like, wow. There's, I mean, Syracuse. It's been going on for four years. Right. But there's there's a handful of schools like, hey, they can't get players like they used to. What happened? Well, and I think Oregon's been the most surprising one because Altman's a good coach. And you even go back to last year, for people who don't remember, they lost six out of the last eight games in the regular season, stumbled into the NCAA tournament, and after they beat Utah State, they were flamed out against Texas A&M, and it's been inconsistent ever since. Cofield and Company is live at the Thomas & Mack for the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Mountain West Conference Tournament, Lady Rebels, San Diego State tied at 33 at the break. One of the reasons I love this tournament is, and, and really the conference, it, it really is a diverse conference, you know, mountain and right. west. Right. And the, there you see people, you know, Wyoming people are not Vegas people. Wyoming people are are not San Diego State people. You know, Fresno is different than a lot of the mountain towns. And I was looking across, and there was a guy walking with, like, cut-off jean shorts, flip-flops, a button-down shirt, hat, fluffy hair. And I couldn't see, I was like, I couldn't see what, you know, what team he's rooting for. He starts walking toward his San Diego State. He's a beach, he's a beach bum, yep. right? But he was talking to us, and he's like, your station reaches San Diego. And I'm like, I don't know about that, dude. But then he pointed out a specific game. He's like, he's like, I could barely hear it, but. Sorry, I bonded with him. You did. I'm not. He looked like he was in his early 70s, but I'm. I was a radio junkie, you know, as a kid, and yeah. I used to get a kick out of like, yeah, hey, I can listen to whatever 50,000 watt station, you know, in the St. Louis station. I can hear him in New Jersey. So, apparently, our signal has a little streak that goes down to San Diego. Okay, nice. Not, <laughs> not to Russell and Buffalo. <laughs> he's funny, man. He's fired up. He's like, hopefully the refs. Stop giving the game to UNLV. I'm like, all right, sir, we haven't had a real chance like to watch that, it. Yeah. We're going to watch it in the second half. I heard that. Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Last thing today on the Jets quarterback situation, because obviously Derek Carr didn't go there. New York has the biggest media market, so you're going to get a lot of talk about it. I try not to talk much about my Jets on the show. But I, I thought it was funny uh, today. Uh, Colin Cowherd, was, I think, was kind of playing the bit. He can't really believe this. Jets are trapped. They're not getting Garoppolo. They're not getting Derek Carr. Tom Brady retired. In that division with Josh Allen twice a year, Belichick twice a year, a certainly capable Mac Jones twice a year, Tua and Mike McDaniel's offense twice a year, congrats on having Sauce Gardner. He wasn't helping you last year win games. You got to get a quarterback. You got to get Aaron Rodgers. Wait, what? Sauce Gardner didn't help win games? The defense didn't help them win games? They had no quarterback! Did they start the like de that's the only way they won was defense and run game. Were they 6-2 and two in the first eight games? <laughs> Sauce Gardner was awesome. So, I mean, that, that, when you start talking about that, like, I realize a quarterback has a lot more impact than maybe a shutdown corner, although negative impact a year ago. Jets are fine. Right. Jets are fine. They don't have to mortgage the future. Again, reality is they're not a great team. Sure. They, got, they, they jumped ahead like a win and a half, two wins of where they should be. Chill. All right? This, but this is what happens in big markets. Where it's like, and and you, know what, you know what it's reminiscent of? Coaching searches. 
They got actually UNLV coaching searches, right? Oh, oh yeah. this name, this name. Oh, no, we're down to the seventh choice. We're screwed. Relax. There'll be a bridge quarterback, right? I don't know who the next guy is. Now that all said, I, I will get a little crazy on this one. I, I think the Jets are fools. If they believe Lamar Jackson can throw a little more than he does in the Ravens offense, they should make a run at him, and they should give him like $200 million guaranteed. Enough. Mm-hmm. They literally haven't had a franchise quarterback really ever since Namath. The guy's in his prime. Go and get him. Stop with the, you know, the first-round picks have value, but they don't always nail them. You have a chance to get a guy in his prime and become relevant and then have the position taken care of for four or five years. Well, in, in those first-round picks as well, let's say you trade them away and you're successful. They're going to be 29th, what, you know what I mean? Like 27th, 28th, 29th, you would hope. So they're not going to be as valuable. Trade them away. Let's go. Get Lamar. Get some hope. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Bigger story in the NBA, Memphis and the Lakers tonight or what Scott Foster was doing last night? No, I mean, it's obviously Memphis and L.A., but yeah. Scott Foster ejected Scotty Barnes in, like, the last 30 seconds of their game against Denver. Apparently, Scotty Barnes was mad and just muttered, y'all cheating, like, to the Nuggets. Not to Scott Foster. Of course, Scott Foster hears everything. He's like, nope, you're out of here. And, of course, that settled the game because it gave him a third free throw and it was a four-point game. If you want to hear hockey action right now, Florida on top of the Golden Knights over on 1340 and 98.9 FM. Uh, beginning of the third, it's 2-1 VGK trails and that one thanks to the mountain west conference for housing the show today we'll back tomorrow uh, we'll be post game essentially for the running rebels uh, the game goes at 1 30 we'll be on around 3 45 4 4 15 john will be back with me well tune in to radio or try to get an idea of what's going on we got a big second half coming up come on lady rebels tie game at 33.